Inherits the Earth, a mother-daughter podcast about the representation of women in movies and television. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series The Qurans and Chronicles and Beth's Daughter. And I am Beth Von Baron, Tessa's mother and also a writer. In this podcast, we talk about movies and television that feature women as the leading characters or where the story focuses on women or women's issues. Our discussions will also touch on roles available to women how men have dominated the film industry since its beginnings, and whether or not that is changing. Today we are discussing Past Lives. Past Lives was uh, filmed or released, it was filmed in 2022, released in 2023 by Killer Films and 2AM Production. It's an hour and 45 minutes long, written and directed by Celine Song, S-O-N-G, produced by David Hanahosa. I may not pronouncing that one correctly. Christine Vachon and Pamela Koffler. Director of photography is Xavier Kirchner, and I meant to look that name up to see if it was a man or a woman, but it didn't. Production designer is Grace Yoon, and it was edited by Keith Fraze. And the reason we go over these kinds of things is because we want to see how many women versus men are involved in the production. It seems mm-hmm. pretty even in this, in this uh, particular film. The movie stars Greta Lee, Tao Yu and John McGarrow. There aren't a lot of actors in this film. They're actually, yeah. uh, the mother and father are in it. You see them in the beginning, and then you don't really see them again, except for you do, uh, she talks to her mother a couple times on the phone. Yeah, you hear her voice. Yeah, you hear her voice, but we don't want really to see the dad again. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a group of friends in Korea. Yes. Uh, his his friends. Hey, son's And friends. I'm not sure we see anybody. Well, she's, there, there are a character actors, I guess, on her side of the story that other than the love interest, I'm not even sure we have names for. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a bit where she's at, at the artist retreat and you see that there are other people there, but I don't think they even get any audible dialogue. Mm-hmm. And then there's the two the two young actors who play uh, Sung and play Nora them as children. As children. Yeah. yeah, and they are they are wonderful. I didn't get their names, but that would have been a good one to get because they're yeah. very good. I heard um I heard a little bit of trivia uh, about the casting process for them. Apparently, when mm. they uh, they did like a chemistry test for the two young actors, and while they were doing the chemistry test, the young boy was told to ask the young girl not to leave Korea, and the young girl got so distraught and and cried and asked uh, the director or somebody if if she had to leave Korea or if she could stay. <laughs> And the director was like, "You can stay. The character has to go." But yeah, that's pretty wild. So it they they clicked. Yeah, their chemistry clicked. That's yeah. great. Yeah, the movie is set in Korea and New York, and we should say South Korea. South Korea. Yes, I think it's I think it's mostly Seoul. It's Seoul. Yeah, yeah, it's all Seoul, and it's twelve years apart and tw- twenty four years apart. So it's set when they're children, and then twelve years later, and then twelve years after that. So basically, over a twenty four year span. IMDb provides this summary. We're going to start using their summaries whenever possible because it's just a very succinct way to get into the story without Mm -hmm. having to sit here and talk to you about the summary for 25 minutes. (laughs) So Nora and Hae Sung, am I pronouncing his name right? I think so, yeah, Hae Sung. 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Nora and Soon, two deeply connected childhood friends, are wrested apart after Nora's family emigrates from South Korea. Twenty years later, they are reunited for one fateful week as they confront notions of love and destiny. However, it is twenty-four years, and I think when she is uh, as a child, her her name is not Nora. It's um, Na Young. No, Na Young. Na Young. Okay, so um, not a great summary, but it does it does the trick. Tells you the basic storyline. Yeah, the basic storyline is it's uh, well, it the the whole movie is framed from the the final meeting. The very first scene that we see mm-hmm. is uh, a snippet of the final hangout conversation in the bar where we can't actually hear anything they're saying, and instead we hear two strangers that we don't see observing this uh conversation and trying to guess i think it literally starts with the line what do you think they are to each other uh, and you can see Sung, nora and arthur sitting at the bar and Sung and nora are looking at each other and arthur arthur is on nora's other side and is not quite as involved in the conversation and that's part of what the the two strangers are speculating about is is there a romantic connection there? How are these people related? And one of the things that they note is that Sung and Nora don't even appear to be talking to Arthur, but he's clearly there with them. And and we see this scene again when it actually happens yes. in the course of the, of the storytelling. And that is remarkable because I, I am kind of at, at points in their conversation wondering... How do you think this is making Arthur feel? Mm-hmm. But anyway, the the opening scene is just one of the best opening scenes I think I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, it's it's giving you there there are actually two or three scenes during the course of the movie that give you some history and some background in a very interesting and unique way. This is one of them, and at the end of the scene, Nora turns and this does not happen in the actual scene in the movie but yes. this in this intro scene she turns and looks at the camera at the end of that scene mm-hmm. looks dead on at the camera and it's just wonderful the whole that whole opening is is very good and it gets your interest immediately it's like what is going on here what are these three what are these three people's stories and it's just a great way to to open it it's uh somebody else observing them trying to figure it out and that's what we're doing we're observing them we're trying to figure it out and there's so many emotions on Greta's face in that scene. Yeah. But it, it's just, it's a wonderful opener. Opening. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can talk about this again later, but Greta Lee's performance in this movie is incredible. It, in that scene, she does this, in that opening scene, she does this amazing job of somehow simultaneously conveying emotions and also mystery. Like when she looks into the camera, it's almost like she knows that you don't know what's going on in her head. And you mm-hmm. want to know. And she's not letting you in quite yet. <laughs> and then, of course, we, we get a title card that says 24 years earlier, as if to say, this is how far back we're going to have to go to explain this moment. <laughs> to tell the story. Yeah. She does this quite a few times during the movie. And this is what struck me about her acting. I don't know if it's the writing, the directing, or just the way she interpreted it with her and her, in her acting. But there are so many scenes where she just sits there and looks at him and doesn't say anything while she's just kind of, it's not even obvious that she's thinking about that moment of time. Sometimes it's like she's contemplating the universe or something. Yeah, I don't know. yeah totally. But, but she's just like, she just kind of looks at him and she'll make a little, not a giggle exactly, but a, a, just a light uh, lyrical sound with her in her, with her, her throat. I mean, like a, and, and I don't know if that's a Korean thing, but it, for me, 
I am the kind of person that it, I am awkward when I don't know what to say. Mm. I feel very awkward. And in these scenes, and they happen six or seven times in the movie, I'm sitting there getting antsy, thinking, mm-hmm. This is, I, I feel this is very awkward that she is, that they're just sitting there and there's no dialogue and they're just not even, it, it's a companionable silence. Mm-hmm. But you can also see on her face that she is just, I don't know, at one with the world, whereas he looks tense and uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> so, and she doesn't, I don't know if she's oblivious to his discomfort or if I'm overthinking it. it's But it's wonderful acting. I, I mean, my interpretation was not that she's oblivious to his discomfort. Uh, it's m- My interpretation, I think, is more that she is kind of enjoying the bittersweet poignancy of the moment. <laughs> and they, yes, and they are all poignant moments. Mm-hmm. And she does seem to appreciate that and understand it when it's happening. She is definitely the person in this relationship who accepts every moment of it without mm-hmm. um with like a an otherworldly understanding like a, a is preternatural the right word it, it's just that she's very mature for her age mm-hmm. and and uh, accepts everything that's happening she's she, and she's humble about it she you know she's a lot of humility in, in her interpretation of this character and just acceptance that at some point she's probably going to hurt him and I, and I am getting ahead here a little bit, but but also understanding and and that he's going to be okay, that they're both going to be okay, and she has to help him get through this. Yeah. And I don't think she even she doesn't even verbalize that. She never verbalizes that. Maybe at the very end. Yeah. And she's also co- probably contemplating if she's making the right decision. I mean, there there is that going on too. Yeah. Um, so the decision, and we should we should explain this a little bit. What's going on here is is whether or not they should she should move back to Korea. They should become a couple again. Uh, it's never even suggested that he might move to America. Well, um, she so... does she does ask him if he will at least come to America. But I do mm-hmm. think the difference yeah. the difference is uh, he doesn't speak English the character yeah you know he speaks like a tiny amount of english but she is fluent in both english and korean and she has lived in korea before so it is definitely present throughout the whole movie that it would be really really hard for him to move to america Mm -hmm. he has a whole life in korea he has always envisioned his life as being in korea also he's an only child they mentioned that so he would be abandoning his parents and i believe in korea that'd be a, a, a pretty big deal uh, I mean, as as yeah. they mentioned, he he still lives with his parents even when he's in his thirties because that's kind of normal there until you get married. Uh, you know, not not everyone does it. Plenty of people do move out of their parents' home, but it's uh, unlike in America where if you're living with your parents in your thirties, it's sort of looked down upon. It's not really looked down upon in the same way there. It's it's more seen yeah. as like a part of just what families do she even describes him at one point that he when she sees him as an adult they touch base at the 12 year point but they don't see each other in person so she leaves when they're uh 10 12 years old somewhere in there her family goes to canada and then she eventually moves to new york so when she finds him or he finds her i can't remember which one finds the other but um, they, they they connect on Facebook, and 12 years has gone by. And I believe she's still living in Toronto. No, I, I think at that point she's already moved to New York. So this is the second immigration for her. Yeah, so although... We need to point that out. When, when they start talking... So when they start talking, I believe she's already moved to New York, but she is, towards the end of them talking, about to go to her artist residence in Montauk. Right. 
So later on, after after they do meet in person as adults, and this is when the 24-year separation has, has happened, she says to her boyfriend, or I guess he's her husband at that point, he's so Korean. <laughs> he's so Korean. Yeah. He still lives with his parents. Uh, he has Korean ideas about everything, the single child thing. She feels less Korean mm-hmm. around him rather than more. She knows she's but Korean, but she doesn't. Also, she more. feels like a Korean American. Yeah, yeah. She feels less, also more. Yeah, but also somewhat more Korean. You're right. She she feels Korean American. I put yeah. that just not Korean American, but I think she says that she feels both. Yeah, yeah. Well, she yeah. She's she's trying to express a complicated emotion. Uh, she says that being around him makes her feel less Korean, but also more. Because he's Korean-Korean, and she's Korean-American, and most of her mm-hmm. Korean friends are Korean-American, but Korean-Korean is different. I also made a note, when she's 12, in the early part of the movie, uh, her mom asks her why she likes Sung, and she says he's manly. And then when she's an adult, mm-hmm. she describes him as, he's very masculine, yes. but in a Korean way. <laughs> she, I think she says he's too masculine, doesn't he? Doesn't she? I don't think I so, think but a, I'm not sure. But she she does describe him yeah. as masculine. But in a Korean way, and we don't really understand that, but it's not something she is any longer comfortable with yeah. because she's gotten used to American masculine, yeah. which is different. And I did want to say, or I, I wanted to discuss the fact that this film is essentially presented like a love triangle uh where the two the two options are Sung and arthur who is her current husband ultimately i do think that the film never really you never really think that she's gonna leave her husband for him no like it's, never. it's not really that's not the tension here the tension mm-hmm. is more kind of just that you know this is a person from her past that she'll never really get to have the kind of relationship that either of them wanted. They wanted it as children. Yes. And and they are both still drawn to that desire. But yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, love triangles. My partner and I were talking about this recently. My partner hates love triangles. I don't. And I, I was trying to explain to him the thing about a love triangle when it's done well is that it's mm-hmm. not just about the choice between the two romantic partners. Each of the romantic partners represents a different part of the person making the choice. So yes. in this instance, you know, she's essentially presented with, that's why she keeps identifying him so much with Korea. She's presented with a choice between the person that she was when she was in Korea as a child and the person that she is now and the future that she has chosen. Uh, and ultimately, it's not really about the choice between the two because she's already chosen. She chose to mm-hmm. essentially move to America. Originally, her family moved to Canada, but then she moved to New York. And a lot of the dialogue is kind of, especially the dialogue between her and Sung when they meet again, is a- a- about how she has you know, adapted to her life in America. There's actually something that I wanted to touch on. Uh, I've watched a a number of Korean television shows on Netflix. And one of the things that always strikes me uh, about these shows, and the the movie talks about it a little bit, uh, is how masculinity is kind of different in Korea than it is in America. This is entirely my impression from TV shows. I've not been to Korea. I am not Korean. (laughs) It's possible that they have a totally different take on this. But when I watch a Korean TV show, there is always a scene where men openly cry together in front of each other. And it's just normal. 
Uh, and it happens in, in this movie, too, when, when he's hanging out with his drinking buddies. One of them has, like, broken up with a girl and starts crying. And they're they're all, like, not only are they fine with it, they're, like, encouraging him to cry more. They're telling him, like, it's good that you cry. And, and in fact, crying is such an important part of this movie mm-hmm. in a subtle way mm-hmm. that you could almost subtitle it The Crying. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's it's a major theme here. Yeah. And yet it's it's very subtle. Yeah. And and I, I would, backing up just a second about the whole Korean thing, though, you did go to high school with South Korean students who I did. And, and so I think you have a better handle on Korean culture than most of us would. So I think you, you do have some you do bring some authority to this. I mean, I wouldn't say that I bring the authority that like an actual Korean person does. I no. think I'm well, probably no. <laughs> Yeah, I am probably a little bit more familiar with Korean culture than your average mm-hmm. American. I had a lot of Korean classmates growing up. Our school had a contingent of kids who were literally from South Korea and uh, my school was a boarding school. And they, they came and they boarded there. Um, so I, I knew about the mandatory military service, uh, for right. instance. All men in South Korea have to do, I think, two years of mandatory mm-hmm. military service. The the crying thing, so for me, it always it, it, it's always striking to see men cry openly and to have no one react as if they have impugned their own masculinity in some way. It's just mm-hmm. a normal part of expression. And crying is not gendered the way that it often is in America where, you know, we have we have kind of an anti-crying culture in America to we a certain are. extent. With women too. I mean, yeah, women and, are not supposed to cry either. Uh, yeah, so. and what I was going to say is, like, f- for me, the, the, like, masculine side of it is much more striking, but it's not just about the, the gendered side of it because, you know, th- these shows also have women being a lot more openly effusive with their emotions than we tend to allow in America. And Nora talks about that. She says she talks about how she used to be a crybaby when yeah. she was little. He, he, he accuses her of that when there, there's yeah. a scene where he calls for some reason. Oh, they're, the very first scene with them together, they're coming up the hill. Yes. And talking about how he finally did better than she did mm-hmm. on a test or a paper or some some assignment yeah and she cried she's not crying at that moment so we don't get to see it but she either she says she's a crybaby or he does yeah uh but then years later at the very end of the movie she says i used to cry a lot Mm -hmm. but then i realized nobody cares nobody cares yeah so she's become an american yeah and she does not cry anymore that's one of the ways we know she's made that transition although i don't know maybe this is jumping the gun but one of the last things that happens in the movie is she finally cries. She does finally cry. I don't think it's jumping the gun. There's, there's, this is a movie that jumps around in time. Yeah, true. So we're going to be jumping around in time with it. Reader or listener, beware. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's also it's a movie about growing up and the differences. So is she when she immigrates and then immigrates again? She's growing up. And growing into a new person, being some somebody different. So he's growing up separate from her. If they had grown up in the same culture together, they might, they probably would have gotten married. But they've grown up and grown apart because they've grown up in different cultures. Mm-hmm. And we see him realizing that this is not, this is not going to happen for them. You know, he he wants things. You know, he still lives with his parents. I don't know how to how to express what I'm trying to get at, but it's like. When we grow up, we leave our parents, at least in this country. And part of that leave-taking is becoming our own person that sometimes and on occasions during adulthood, our parents no longer recognize. 
Mm-hmm. Who is this person I raised? This is not the person I raised. Um, I had that experience with my mother, and I've had my, that experience with, with you and your brother. My, you know, my mother got to a point where she would say to me, I don't know who you are anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, of course you don't. You don't yeah. live with me. You know, we, don't, we didn't even live in, live in the same town. She, and she didn't get to see me that. She didn't get to see that evolution happening yeah. day after day after day once, once I was 20 and, and, and left her home. And that's true of you and me as well. You 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 uh, moved to Seattle when you were 23, 24, and we have not lived in the same city since then. So you have gone through the very normal kinds of adult development and adult changes that someone goes from their mid-20s to their mid-30s without me being there every day to witness it. Now, we still talk pretty often, so I get to see you usually tell me stuff. Yeah. But I'm not there every day like I was when we lived in the same house. Mm-hmm. And, and even with my son, who does live in the city, I only see him maybe once a week, every other week. So it's not like I'm, I'm seeing him every day. And those changes are micro changes. Yeah. And they, they continue uh, in adulthood, they didn't never stop. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not the same person at 65 that I was at 25. So they never stop. And that's kind of what's going on here is that she has grown into this person and he didn't get to see those micro changes happen during the 24 years. Yeah. And so he doesn't recognize her and yet he does. Yeah. And, and she recognizes him because, and I hate to say this, but it feels like he really has not gone through that growth and development that she has. When you move to another country, when you move to another city, when you move to another house, you are forced to grow and change and people, and it, it doesn't have to be true. But it seems to be something that we see in movies a lot. That people yeah. who don't make those kinds of movement, physical movement, you know, lo- locale movement, also sometimes don't make the uh, developmental leaps that other people make, make because they haven't been challenged to do it. You, for example, Tess, moved to another city to go to college. And then you came home for a year and you moved to a completely different city to build your life in. So you had to do that twice. And actually, that's almost a, a replica of what you went through as a child where you had to change schools a couple of times. This mm-hmm. also happens to children who are forced to change schools. Yeah. And you had to do that twice, too, maybe yeah. three times. And, and people who go through those kinds of changes uh, are forced to grow up a little bit, maybe a little bit faster, maybe a little bit more dramatically. Yeah. And I would say that it's not necessarily that he hasn't become an adult but mm-hmm. he definitely he definitely hasn't changed as much as she has changed and i think that is not just a literal thing but also kind of a figurative thing because you know as we know america is a very individualistic culture and there's kind mm-hmm. of this idea that you really need to strike out on your own, differentiate yourself yeah. from your parents, kind of make your own way in the world. Rugged individualism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the individualistic thing about America, too, is also something, it's something we understand, but it's also something we have come to sort of lament because it's created a situation for us, especially in this in today's, you know, culture, the day COVID, and time, yeah. where, yeah, especially, it, it became very obvious during COVID yeah. that, it takes generations in families to raise children, mm-hmm. to do it well. And when you, when, you, when you separate, when you move away, when you move across the country, even when you move across the city, sometimes that puts parents at a real disadvantage in trying to both build their careers and raise healthy children. 
It's, a, it, it's something that we lament. We don't know how to fix it. We don't know if we want to fix it. We don't know if we want to change it. It's good for us. It's bad for us. America's not a very old country. We've only been at this for a couple hundred years. Korea is a much older country. Their, their systems are in place because they work for them. And we, we within this individualistic approach to our culture, we are also constantly changing. So I, I wonder, because we have to adapt and change to, we create problems, we have to fix them. We keep, we seem to be stalemated right now at a point where we have all these problems that we can't seem to overcome. But in the past, we have managed to break through, break free of those kind of stalemates and, and create a better future. You know, the civil rights movement is the best example of that, or one of the best examples of that. But we're a stalemate now, mm-hmm. and and part of that is our individualistic yeah. um, approach to living and life. And so, there's something to be admired in in Asian cultures yeah. who put um, so much importance and value on family structures yeah. and maintaining and community. Those. Community. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of the you know the collectivist versus individualist argument, and I do mm-hmm. think that America is at kind of. Uh, crossroads yeah kind of a crossroads uh where i think a lot of people have come to realize that the level of individualism that we enforce that the and and the 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 fact that word that we enforce that we enforce and that we you know tie to our very sense of our national identity uh, has some toxic side effects it's damaging it's damaged us yeah yeah i I think i think covid is unfortunately a really good example of this i don't want to paint too broad a brush but you know one of the big issues that we that we as americans specifically had in dealing with covid was this idea that making any kind of personal sacrifice for the sake of the community was anathema to american identity Mm -hmm. That we can't even put on a mask in public because that inconveniences us personally too much, even if it would mean that fewer people would die. Uh, And, you know, like, again, I I don't want to paint myself as the Korean expert, but I did read a bit about how uh, the pandemic went in South Korea, and it sounded like they dealt with it a lot better on average than America did. They had a much better rollout of uh, an app for tracking it. People really did not chafe against the mask guidelines nearly as much. There are exceptions to this, of course. Uh, I believe there was uh, a breakout kind of late in the pandemic in Korea among like a particular group of people who were very anti-mask. But overall, most people were on board with putting on masks. And Korea did not, South Korea did not have to... Uh, do uh, quarantining for nearly as long as we did in America because they had this system in place where everyone downloaded an app on their phone uh, and everyone, when they would go into any public enclosed space, there would be a person at the door who would take their temperature. And people just Mm -hmm. submitted to this. And because of that, because everyone had that sort of collectivist idea that this is good for the whole community and it's just temporary, they didn't have to shelter in their homes for nearly as long (laughs) because they had these other precautions in place that people went along with. And as soon as you start talking about an app that tracks anything about you in America, half the people you're talking to are going to freak out about privacy, even though we've already sold all of our information to 10 different companies. (laughs) No. Yeah, so I think I think there was a brief moment. I would say two to three months. It was a positive 
community-focused response to something terrible that was happening to us. People were concerned about uh, families having to uh, educate their children, but also work and earn a living. People being out of work, restaurants closing. Everybody cared about each other. And it went away as quickly as it happened. We went in just the opposite direction. Part of this also is because we were a multi-ethnic country. You know, people always talk about, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in Denmark because they, they have the highest degree of happiness there. Well, really, there isn't a single non-white person in Denmark. It's just, it's there, when you have different cultures, uh, different ethnicities living, trying to live together and build a, mm-hmm. a, a society. That, and this is what we do in this country. People, you know, we make fun of ourselves and other people make fun of us, but but this is an experiment that is still happening. Yeah. We, we are still building a multi-ethnic, multicultural nation of individuals who are also a community. And that's not an easy thing to do. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to witness. It's also difficult. It's not easy. But, but that is part of why, why these two characters, I think, are so different. They've grown up and they've literally grown up in different com- in communities that are so vastly different in how they approach individuality and privacy and community and, and, and all those kinds of things. So, and, and the film makes a point of kind of gently and non-judgmentally, but still presently associating Nora's desire to live in America with her ambition. Uh, the mm-hmm. movie isn't really about her. Like it's, it's, it's not really about like the rat race, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, even as a child, when we first hear her actually talk about moving to America, she says that she wants to go. She's She doesn't really claim that her parents are making her go. She says that she mm-hmm. wants to go, even though, you know, the reality is obviously it's because her parents are going, but she says she wants to go, uh, and the reason is because Koreans don't win the Nobel Prize for Literature. She always knew that this was going to work for her. Yeah. I, we don't see, doesn't she have a sister? She does have a younger sister, see, yeah. We don't see a, the sister at, at all in this story after that those first two scenes. Yeah. But, but Nora herself embraces this change. She embraces immigration. She embraces the move. She embraces her name chain, change. She comes up with a, a, a name for herself, although I think her parents don't like it, and they come up with Nora. Okay, so th- that there's, there's one scene where they talk about it. She comes and tells them that she's going to be Michelle, and they tell her that that's the name that her sister wants. And she says mm. that she does she doesn't like any of the other names. But then her father suggests uh, Leonor Lenore uh, with Lenore. Uh, the nickname of Nora. Lenora. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she she seems to immediately click with Nora. She does. It's like she she was born with an American spirit because this is a good change for her. We don't know why the parents decide to make this change. His, his the wife the mother is an artist. He's a filmmaker. And so they are artistic uh, people, and they and they want to move to a new country. Nor is also artistic. We should point out that she's a playwright. Yeah, she's a playwright. And you know, when we were talking, when we we're talking about, there are a lot of visuals in here too about people being alone and people being with other people. So I mean, and how they represent that visually. When she first goes off, she goes off to uh, an artist community, an artist residency, and she's the first one to arrive, and it's this beautiful bucolic idyllic setting out in the country somewhere in this lovely home Mm -hmm. she gets there early so she gets to choose her room yeah uh and you know and she's just kind of silently walking through the house and noticing things and then the next morning she gets and she falls asleep 
Yeah. And then the next morning she gets up. It's very peaceful. And she gets up and makes herself some coffee. And then Arthur is the next one to arrive. Or maybe he's the last one to arrive, but we don't see anybody in between. Yeah, I think he's the last one. But yeah, we don't see her interact with anyone else. I think he's the last one because she tells him he got the worst room. He got the so, worst room. Yeah. And so we don't see anybody in between, but she tells us. And that's how we, interestingly, how we get a lot of information in this film is through dialogue. Uh, now, we don't see it happen so much as they, they talk about it. But this is where they meet, and they hit it off. So there are a few scenes in the movie where the filmmaker takes a real interesting approach to filling us in on what's been happening. Mm-hmm. So there's a scene, I guess, where it, they're coming back from Canada, and by they I mean uh, Nora and Arthur mm-hmm. have gone to Canada. And at this point, we've skipped some time, uh, and we find out, I don't remember all the details, but the, but the uh, customs guy is asking them, questions are you married do you live together blah, blah blah and so we find out that they are married that they live together uh and there's a couple other things so all of these things that we didn't know that uh had happened in between the last time we saw them together because we're skipping back and forth between seeing her life and between seeing Sung's life so that that's one time and that's a really interesting way of filling in what's taking place at that point so they have gone to meet he's gone with her to meet her parents so another one happens and this is my favorite scene in the movie i think and uh when they're in bed together and you know they're they're falling asleep uh and they're talking and it's just a very intimate conversation that's really well written they, they're talking about how they met how insecure he feels mm-hmm. um does she love him or does she need him how he wants to learn to uh korean so he can understand her when she's dreaming because sometimes she speaks aloud when she's dreaming but he kind of asks her what would have happened if we hadn't gone to this right this um artist residence if we hadn't what happens in their life is they they meet at this artist uh, residency they both need uh, a place to live so they a a cheaper place to live so they moved in together yeah they they Um, found out that they both lived in new york so they moved in together to save on rent they got married so she could get a green card card. Yeah. yeah she needs a green card so they get married so there's they're how they've gotten to that point is a series of what ifs for him. Yeah. What if this hadn't happened? What if that hadn't happened? Yeah. But while he's while he's going through that question of what if, what if, what if, we find out what's happened in their life. Yeah. It's just a real interesting way of telling the story without making us walk through all of those scenes with them. Yeah. So I, I love the filmmaking. It's it's just it's really wonderful. It's different. Yeah. He's he's feeling insecure because he feels like her story with Hesong is you know, kind of this beautiful fairy tale story and uh, their story together, Nora's and Arthur's, is just sort of a series of practical decisions. Yeah, it's very exactly right. It's very practical. And yet they are obviously clearly devoted to each other. There's a scene, they are so comfortable with each other. There's a scene that just, I just thought, this is definitely a younger couple. She walks into the apartment. I think it is the first night she has, has spent a day with Sung and she comes home and Arthur is sitting on the couch playing a video game and she walks in takes her shoes off it's very you know they're, they're very good about taking the shoes off when they walk in puts her keys down walks into the living room and he's playing a video game and I thought that is something that only a younger person I think could relate to because I have never walked in to my home where, you know, my spouse or partner was playing a video game. That's not something my generation did. Yeah, it's not exactly the same, but I feel like it would be the equivalent of, like, in an old sitcom, walking home, and the man is watching sports on television. 
like it's it's not exactly the same because I uh you know I don't think that the drive to watch sports is exactly the same as the drive to watch video games and I think that video games uh, are super not gendered because just as many mm-hmm. of my female friends play video games as my male friends um, and actually right now my partner and I are playing Baldur's Gate together mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but yeah no that, that that was definitely a very like modern this is what couples do now this is it, it is mm-hmm. very normal for a a modern couple of my age to for one of them to be playing a video game at any given time yeah that's my point is that is that partner whichever one it is is playing a video game you know if it if it, they were sitting there watching the news or watching a tv show or watching a movie that would be that would be more my generation so that it, that was i thought that was real interesting that she walks in on him and even though she's not an american i mean you know she wasn't raised in america um, it's still a very American scene. And, yeah. and it may be something that happens in Korea, too, but they don't present it that way. We don't see Sung playing video games with his buddies. The only time we see them together, in fact, is in, in a bar or a restaurant, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, there definitely are a lot of video game players in Korea. And I know that because uh, there's like a popular video game, I believe it's StarCraft, uh, where a, a number of the players, there's like a big contingent of professional players who like mm. compete and the best ones are the South Korean ones. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing until a couple of years ago and I saw it in a movie that there were competitive video gamers out there and yeah. and there's betting. People bet mm-hmm. on them. So Yeah, you can <laughs> you can make wild. a living doing it. It is actually very difficult to make a living doing it, but you can. Um I did want to talk a little bit about the John Lennon pose, uh which okay. apparently you missed, but um I think I it's did. I think it's shortly after they they're seen coming back from Canada. Uh, so, you know, kind of not that long after we've been introduced to Arthur as a character, they that there's this, uh, a scene of them lying in bed and they're doing the Yoko Ono, John Lennon pose cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. Where Yoko Ono is kind of laying straight and sort of looking up and not quite at John and she's fully dressed and John Lennon is naked and curled around her and the shot in the movie is not exactly the same Annie Leibovitz and uh, the, the shot is not exactly the same but it's very similar she is wearing more clothes than he is I think he's wearing just his boxers I did I did not pick up on that but you're right yeah, yeah he's he's curled around her and he's speaking Korean this is the first time that we see him speaking Korean and telling her that uh, he's hungry and they just have a conversation about what they're going to have for dinner but I, I feel like that was an intentional homage because it's so similar to that photograph. And, you know, th- they are also uh, it's not, a, you know, Yoko Ono is Japanese. And by the way, just turned 91 a couple of days ago. She Yes, you know, we don't see her in public a lot anymore. But that, that photograph has always haunted me. I think it was on the cover of Rolling Stone just a week or two before he was killed. So it wasn't it wasn't very long. And yeah. uh, it's a haunting photograph. I'm surprised I didn't pick up on it. Um, but there's a lot of Asian-American stuff going on in the film and scenes of, of Seoul, you know, landscapes and the cityscapes, you know, contrasted with uh, New York City. We never see Toronto for the most part. She, and she's lived there for 12 yeah. years. Yeah, we just see the airport. We don't really see that. You know, yeah. Yeah, you just see the airport. Um, but but New York contrasts with, with Seoul. And it's interesting because I, I love the, the opening with, the, with where the kids are coming up the, the very steep hill. They're walking up a steep yes. hill to get home from walking home from school. And it, it's 
just a really great great shot of where and how they live. Yes. And how you know how close the 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 homes all are. Yeah. You know, it's it, there are a lot of places other than the America <laughs> that are really densely populated like this. Yeah. And they're not necessarily, they're not poor. He grows up to be an engineer. It's just a city thing. Yeah. The, it's just a city. It's just how, it's just a population. They just yeah. have a huge population and they all, they're all urban dwellers. So they yeah. live really close to each other. And she, you know, they both are educated. Their families are educated. And, but this is just the way it is in Seoul. Then you come to this country. And part of me thinks that when she gets to that that house out in the country where there's, you know, a lot of land and it's not densely populated, that that contrast is just so beautiful for her. She's, you know, she's not used to that. We don't know what Toronto's like or where they lived in Toronto. I mean, Toronto is also a big city. And, you know, there there are countrysides in Korea, but... It does seem like she only lived in Seoul. Uh, but there was actually a really interesting shot where they, they opened up on, it was a shot of New York City, but for a second, I wasn't sure if it was New York or Seoul yes. because there yes. was all of this Asian writing on the signs um, because there is a lot of that in New York. And it, it like eventually revealed that it was New York, but I was like, wait, are we in New York or Seoul? Yeah, I thought the contrast in the two cities was was well done and interesting and makes me want to visit Seoul. Because it's a very interesting city. Yeah, this was definitely a good movie for if you would like to be enticed to go check out Seoul or New York. It, it a lot of really beautiful cinematography of both cities. And there's also the scene where she and Sung visit. They, I, you know, I don't know if they go up in the Statue of Liberty, but they get on the Staten Island ferry. And they, in fact, I wrote down in my notes at first that they were taking a river cruise, and then then you see the Statue of Liberty, and and you see the ferry. I don't think they're on the Staten Island ferry, so I don't think they were going to go to the island where the Statue of Liberty is. But but they do see it very, mm-hmm. you know, real close up. And in fact, she he tries to take a selfie with the the statue in the background. She says, "Here, let me take it." But then when she's telling this story to Arthur, he admits that. He's a native New Yorker, and he has never been up in the Statue of Liberty. And that immediately made me feel like, I get that. I was an adult in my 20s before I went up in the arch. Yeah. <laughs> and I saw it being built. So, yeah, it, when, it, when it's in your backyard, you don't always do it. I feel like I do know one of my friends who's actually lived in Seattle their whole life who hasn't gone up in the Space Needle. I, meanwhile, have been up four times. <laughs> of course. You know, because since I'm not from here... Uh, I mean, for a couple of different reasons, but since I'm not from here, every time someone has come to visit me, we go up the Space yep. Needle. <laughs> that is primarily why I have gone up in the Arch, too. Now, of course, I had the, had the experience of working at the Arch, but during the two years that I worked there, I never once went up in it. But then when, when family visited, I would take them up. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, but I was in my 20s before I, before I ever went up in the Arch. So, and this is a young man who's 30-ish. And has never been up in the Statue of Liberty. So that's yeah. kind of wild. Yes. Well, if it's something there, you take advantage. You just assume it's always going to be there. Yeah. I did also, since like we're talking about it right now, I, I wanted to say one of my favorite shots in the movie is when, uh, I believe it's while Hesung and Nora are talking over, you know, Skype or some kind of computer call. It, it does this pan of soul during the day and then it cuts to New York at night. And mm-hmm. it's just this really beautiful transition 
where yeah you it, it just kind of highlights both the differences and the similarities they're both really mm-hmm. big jam-packed cities but there is almost sort of a an, an extra bucolic factor to the soul image and then when it cuts to new york because it's at night it's all of the the lights that are lit up at night and you know if you look at it some of the lights are moving and you know it's this very like uh, almost futuristic technological look it's just it's just a really beautiful shot and and, and i think they're talking over it while you're seeing these yes. shots. They're, they're still talking. Yeah. And and it reminds you that New York is also densely populated. Yes. It's designed slightly differently, so it's not as obvious. And it doesn't have all those hills. You know, it's, Seoul looks like it's, it's like San Francisco. There's just all these hills and everything is, is you know pretty close together but when you actually look at the neighborhoods in new york where people live it's pretty densely populated extreme, yeah but, you know it's not it's not as bad as seattle i don't think although i think that that's just because seattle is smaller well so the, when we get to the scene where the two um the two men meet i thought it was really good directing they're both really awkward with each other and yet they want to seem friendly to to the other and they want to pretend that they don't both love the same woman but they do uh, and they try to speak in each other's language which is so sweet yeah and they do it for her yeah but also they genuinely seem to not want to hurt one another and i thought that was yeah the very respectful and that's not something you don't get that in a lot of American-made films. It's much more competitive when you have two men who have an interest in the same woman. And this is just the opposite of what you see in American-made films. Are you looking up to see if she's if she's Korean? Yeah. So she was born in South Korea. She's my age. I mean, I man, I, I can't cite this, but I I feel like I read somewhere that this film does kind of echo her life a little bit at least in the you know living in korea and living in america and also her name is interestingly similar to the main character's name her name Mm -hmm. is celine song nora's name is nora moon you know these are both uh normal korean names that have a very particular meaning in english that's you know Mm -hmm. incidental nora is a great great name yeah it's a fantastic name um some of my favorite, you know, Norzeal Hurston, Nora Efron. It's just a wonderful name that you don't really hear that often. So they go on to the bar and they sit. Well, they, first they go out to dinner. And that that's a nice little conversation, too. But then they end up going to a bar afterwards when, and it's interesting that it happens in th- this moment. They've had lots of opportunities. And by then, I mean, Sung and Nora have had lots of opportunities during this short trip to New York to discuss their relationship. And they don't do it, and they don't do it, and then they all of a sudden choose to do it at the bar with her husband sitting right next to him. Of course, yeah. he can't understand what they're saying because they're speaking in Korean. But that's just fascinating to me. But And it's probably because, and, and the, the other thing that's to back up just a second and say, when they pick him up, he's bringing his suitcase with him. And my first thought was, he's, they said he was leaving the next day, but I guess it was going to be very early in the morning the next day. Yeah. And actually, because I intentionally watched this twice, um, the strangers who are commenting on them in the beginning mentioned that they are drinking in a bar at 4 a.m. Oh, that's right. I should have watched it a second time. Yes, I remember that now. There was, they, so they are intentionally staying out long enough so they can get him to the airport. Yes. Um, and maybe then he can sleep on the plane because it's going to be a long flight. So, yeah. So he's got a suitcase with him wherever they go. There's not a lot, I don't think, that happens in the restaurant. But, but most of what, the majority of... of 
their interaction, their most honest interaction with each other happens in the bar. So it's kind of, the, it's not the turning point in the film because it's at the end, but it's kind of a linchpin of the film. So where they really talk about how they understand, I think he would still love to see her come back to Korea and be his wife, but he also understands that that is not possible for her. The very fact that she could leave Korea means that she is no longer as Korean as he was as he is and she they talk about that you wanna- yeah yeah some of the things that they say yeah he's he eventually says that it's good that she emigrated uh because korea is too small of a country for her uh and that something like you know her her ambition works better here but he also says i, I didn't write down exactly how he put it but he says something like you were a person who was always going to leave and that is part of who you are and i loved who you were so it's like he he does love her but it's kind of in this inherently it's like the thing that he loves about her is also the reason why they can't be together you know he loves this person who had to come to america to live this life that she wants and that means that they can never be together but that is also who she is and he loves who she is he has to come to america to see for himself that she has made this leap that she has changed that she has grown into this person so that he can accept who accept who she's become and and willingly let her go and so he can go back home and be the person that he has to be for his family, for his per- uh, parents, for his community. He's an only child. Yeah. Um, he has to take care of them, presumably, as they as they grow older. And he, he's got a life there. But for that life to, life to proceed in the way that he wants it to and needs it to and his family needs it to, he really has to see for himself that she is not the kind of person who can come back and live in Korea. And so that brings us to the end of the film. And it's both beautiful and hard heartbreakingly sad it's there's a lot of the melancholy is a is a a continuing tone throughout the movie and yet they're also it's not it's not a bad melancholy and I'm not even sure I can explain how that is it's it's a kind of melancholy that people accept when they realize that to grow yeah become who they are they have to let go in fact yeah. who is it that says this at the beginning if you leave something behind yes her mother her mother yes. says this if you leave something behind you gain something too but yes. you have to you have to kind of reverse that and say another in order to become who you are to gain who you are mm-hmm. you sometimes have to leave past lives behind yes and that's what she has chosen to do she has chosen to leave this past life behind even though he was fundamental to her mm-hmm. early years she he was a good friend um they you know they supported each other they had a strong connection and she, she they can still have that connection i don't think they either one of them thinks they're going to lose that mm-hmm. i see them communicating in the future um you know via facebook or whatever maybe or maybe not maybe they they have to completely for him maybe he has to completely cut off connect all, all communication we don't really know yeah. what's going to happen so but I do think that to let go of that, he he has to let go of their past life. I don't mm-hmm. think she does. I think she could still have a relationship with him. Maybe after he gets married and has children and moves on, who knows. Mm. But he can't do that by, while he still has this idea in yeah. the back of, of his head that he's going to build a life with her. Yeah, while well, he's still sort of holding on to the dream of her. 
Um, yeah, the thing that she says to him is uh, that the girl that he loved was real, but she's not her anymore. She says, yeah. 20, 20 years ago, I left her behind with you. Yeah, and th- that plays out on the carousel scene really yeah. well visually. It, it's yeah. a beautiful visual. They're discussing who they were, who they are, what they wanted as babies, what they want now. Um, it's just visually perfect. She is relaxed and comfortable in her skin. They're sitting on, on a step in front of the carousel as it's going around. And it's going around and around. And they're sitting there. And he's sitting stiffly. But the, the carousel is always in motion. And she's very relaxed. She's kind of leaning. Her blouse is somewhat open. It's just a great visual. And it, and it, it describes visually pretty perfectly where they are and who they are, how yeah. different they are. Yeah. And then they, they also, in that bar conversation... Uh, and earlier, uh, so one thing that we didn't talk about is when she first meets Arthur at the artist residency, she has a conversation with him where she explains the Korean concept of inyon. Well, have we not talked about this yet? <laughs> it's, it's a really important part of the movie. It's, yeah, it's a very important part of the movie. It's it's kind of the underlying theme uh, or a, one of the underlying themes, this idea of inyon, which is essentially fate, um, but it's fate specifically uh, kind of a Buddhist idea of fate that is based on the concept of reincarnation and having past lives. And it's this, uh, she says, like, uh, when two people get married, it's because they have 8,000 layers of inyun between them. And inyun is just sort of like connections, connections created by fate. You know, she says, uh, even, even when two people pass on the street and their clothes brush, that means that there's inyun between them. Uh, and that comes up again in that final conversation in the bar where she she and Heisun talk about the inyun between them and, and they discuss what they might have been to each other in their past lives. And this is kind of, mm-hmm. this is part of her getting him to accept that they are not meant to be together in this life. Not, not even as a way of softening the blow, but just as a way of, you know, discussing the fact that they can mean something to each other without being together. They start talking about what they might have been to each other in their past lives, and they both come up with silly ideas. You know, maybe they were a for- forbidden love affair, or maybe mm-hmm. they were a forced political marriage and they hated each other. And she ends it with, uh, or maybe we were just a bird and the branch it sat on one day. Uh, and then the final thing that he says to her in the film when they're departing, when she she walks him to his Uber and he's about to leave, as he asks her, what if this is also a past life and we're already something to each other in our next one? And there's a scene where she has a similar conversation with her husband. I can't remember what they say now, but she tries to explain to him what Inyun is and explain to him how they were fated to be together too. And she has a different explanation for him. And I don't remember how that goes. In um, I'm, I'm not sure this is what you're talking about, but in the conversation where he's uh, explaining how insecure he feels and why he feels insecure about their story versus her story with Sung. she says this is where I ended up this is where I'm supposed to be and I think that's kind of her way of saying like yes you you can put the decisions of our lives in this framework where they look you know very practical and not very romantic but ultimately where you are is where you're fated to be exactly that's exactly right yeah so I, I do think the ending is perfect and there are two things about it that I like one is after she puts him in the Uber and he drives away, she very slowly 
walks back to their apartment. My first question is they were walking away from the apartment towards the Uber drivers. Why did you have him pick you up a block away? But okay. Uh, I mean, I, I think probably, honestly, probably they just wanted the long shot of them walking quietly. Uh, yeah. But practicality speaking sometimes when you get an uber or a lyft it does make you go to like a specific spot some some i don't okay. know why but sometimes you do have to like move to go get your Uber. it's a wonderful visual when she's walking back she, she, she puts him in the uber she very slowly starts walking back to her apartment but the striking thing about it from a cinematography <laughs> perspective is that she is walking past all these windows with reflections in them and i watched this twice i you know i rewound it and watched it again do you you never see this the, the photographer you never see the cinematographer the the camera you never see it and yet it is a straight on shot they are they are tracking her all the way down the street there's reflection behind her almost the entire time. So I was uh, <laughs> consumed by that and had to rewatch it again. But the first time I watched it, it was just so beautiful. Yeah. It was just so beautifully done and respectful of the characters, respectful of this loss and yet this gain that she is experiencing. Because, you know, there's, you know she, that's what it is. There's loss. You have to give up stuff to get other stuff. And that, that's a constant in life. You, you give up something to gain something else. And this is what she's contemplating, I feel, um, as she's walking along this empty New York street mm -hmm. at 4 a.m. And then mm -hmm. she gets to the stoop where, where her husband is sitting. And he's sitting there waiting for her. Yep. Oh, and he's smoking, too, which is interesting. Because he's sitting there the stoop smoking. And it's the first time I've seen him do that. And we actually see Soon smoke twice in the movie, but never in front of her. But at that point, she starts crying. And she says it's the first time. I said, so back to when she was a, a crybaby. And she says, I used to cry a lot, but then I realized nobody cared. Yeah. And she sits there and cries. Yeah. Because it's it's a it's a letting go. She has to let go because she still she does harbor feelings for him. You know whether or not they were ever romantic or if they were just comfortable. I don't think that's a question we can answer. And again, I I think it's also it's not just about him. Like it is about him, but it's also mm. about Korea and her childhood. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, like this is, and I think that also relates to um, the thing that her husband says, again, in the conversation where he's talking about his insecurity, he says, you dream in a language I don't understand. It's like, yeah, there's that's a whole, great. Yeah. It's like, there's a whole place inside of you where I can't go. And, you know, I mean, that is true of every relationship. That is just a part yes. of being human. <laughs> but in this case, it's also a bit more literal because in a way, he can never go to the Korea of her youth. He can never mm -hmm. go to Korea and know what it was like to grow up there. He can visit, but it's not gonna it's never gonna be the same for him as it is gonna be for her because to her, she's not a tourist. You know, she she grew up there. But that's also true of every relationship. Yes. When you yes. when when you, you, you don't know what the person you marry, what they mm -hmm. went through as a child. You know what they tell you. Yeah. But you can't experience it. So it's just that there's was across international boundaries. So Yeah. Uh, and in this film, it it's kind of represented literally with Sung. You know, she will always have mm -hmm. a relationship with him that her husband will be on the outside of to some extent. Yeah. And that doesn't that doesn't invalidate their relationship. And it doesn't mean she's going to leave her husband for Sung. It's just that is a part of her. And it's a part of her that ultimately is in the past. And she can't, you know, it, it's it, it's always going to have this emotional resonance for her. But it's not a part of her everyday life anymore. Yeah. It's, a, it's her history. Yes. It's her personal history. 
And I, I got a feeling that she's going to use it in a play. <laughs> Probably. There was one um, shot that I wanted to talk about that I didn't notice until my second time through. It's another time, and this this relates to what we're talking about. It's another time when she's talking to Sung on the video chat when he's in the, uh, what is it called? It's not a funicular. The 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 car, the cable car. He's, he's in mm. a cable car in Korea, and he shows her the visual that he's looking at. And it's while she's looking at that image, which is an image of Korea, that she says, I miss you. I, like, she is talking to him, but she's also talking to Korea. Missing Korea, yeah. Yeah. And missing her youth. You know, there's a lot. When we talk about our past lives, too, there's so many ways to look at that title. You know, maybe it's reincarnation. Maybe it's just that as we grow older, we become different people. You know, we're not the, we're not the same person at 65 that that I'm not at that I was at 45 or 25 or 5. And it almost feels like when you look back at your life and the older you get, the more you, you experience this. When you look back at your life and, and you see all these different you know, kind of, I don't know, divided, you know, divided into sections that it feels like a life into itself. Well, that was one life. Childhood was one life. High school was one life. College and the young adult years were one life. Having young children was one life. And so sometimes we look back at those past lives and miss them. I, I often think that, you know, when I think about my children and how you were as young children, I would never want to go back there because you've grown up, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But I miss that part of our life where we all live together and, you, and in the same house and you were young children, those experiences. That's a one, that's a once in a lifetime kind of experience having children. So I miss that life. And, and I, I mean, I miss you guys too, not living with me, but it's also, it's the life that we had that I miss. And there are lots of those instances over the course of a human life. If you're lucky and privileged enough to live a long life that that you can look back and say your past lives you know my childhood my my young adulthood my when the kids left the house and all of a sudden they could do stuff again you know those yeah. those are all those are all past lives so that's part of the title too and, and so she is always going to have that childhood with him as a past life in addition to whatever in your past life they had together yes so. yeah a bird and the branch that it sat on so there's some details in, in this movie that i that i, I really like a lot and i'm just going to skim a few of them one of the opening scenes is they're having noodles for breakfast in Korea and I, and I thought wow there probably isn't a better way to emphasize the difference in cultures <laughs> than to show how people eat breakfast so what do you, what they eat for breakfast they had noodles and tofu and there were a couple of other things nothing that looked at all American you know we sit down to, bre- to breakfast in this country and this is shown in movies and tv shows all the time it's cereal or it's eggs or it's toast very very different from from a korean and and they she the mother made a whole meal i think this was hey sung's family so he sat down to breakfast with his mother and father and she had made that table was full and it was yeah. breakfast and i think we tend to make when we make breakfast at home it's a much simpler matter than than dinner in this country i mean i think the concept of having breakfast specific foods is kind mm. of a western european thing yeah you know, french the, italian american yeah yeah french, italian Spanish, english even. yeah american yeah, yeah. I, I think a lot and of other cultures eggs. it involves yeah. eggs a lot of times. yeah yeah. yeah, the idea that eggs are like a breakfast food, a breakfast-specific food. food. Whereas Asian cuisine a lot of times mixes eggs with noodles. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, e- eggs are so. eggs are an anytime kind of thing. Yes, yeah, so kind of thing. Our concept of breakfast foods is uh, a little bit arbitrary and specific to us. <laughs> it is. It's very different. So that's one thing. And another thing that I just loved is she's rushing into her apartment and after she's moved to New York and she she runs in and slams the door and before it's a very quick scene and you can see that she has written on the wall not a note but written in some kind of ink or something on the wall a note to herself that says keys phone wallet <laughs> and and it's that to say grab those three things before you leave and mm-hmm. wow how brilliant is that? I, I need to do that. <laughs> put, put, put notes by, by the doors. She also might be, just because a, a lot of apartments in big cities will do this, she might be in an apartment where the door locks automatically. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 For safety and security, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's actually a really good point. In the scene in her apartment, which is set in about 2011, 2012, when she contacts him, she's using a MacBook Air. Uh, I have a MacBook Air, and I'm looking at it and thinking, well, that looks just like mine. But then I look closer, and all the icons at the bottom are much bigger, so it's definitely an older version. And these are the <laughs> things that I noticed. When it, and I think they went to a lot of trouble to make these. It's hard when you when you, when you you set something, even especially 10 years ago. It might be easier to set it 50 years ago because people aren't going to notice stuff. But when it's set 10 years ago, you have to be really careful. And I did not have a Mac 10 years ago, but I remember seeing Macs and they had much bigger icons. So yeah, that, so that was very, that, that was really good. Plus they get the, the Facebook interface, right? The Facebook interface, it's kind of hard to say, was very different. And I guess they're Skyping in that scene and they keep saying, whoa, and it sounds yeah. like they're saying, wow. <laughs> and, the, and I, I'm watching it with closed captioning turned on and they're spelling it W-O-A-H. You know, I spell it W-H-O-A when I put it in writing. Which is correct. But which I think is correct, yeah. And, but they're saying it as wow. And that could be an Asian thing. But they, they can't stop saying it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're seeing each other for the first time in, in 12 years. And it's just, it's really fun. But yeah, you were talking about the cityscapes of their different worlds was juxtaposed against their... A fairly dull conversation. I mean, you know, we're, we're hearing them talk, and it's just everyday stuff. But then when they when they close that down and they continue to communicate with, with each other, um, they do it by email, I guess sometimes. And she's writing out as a scene where she's writing out. Yeah, it's like she's trying to translate. She wants to say something to him, and she's writing it out in Korean. And I don't know if that's letters or yeah, I would say characters. So she's getting that ready for her email, and then she's going to translate it. And that made me think: Well, does she have a Korean character keyboard? available to her so it's just a a silly thing but yeah i don't i don't entirely know how that would work there might be a program that she can use but i Mm. think maybe part of the reason she was writing it out is because i think korean doesn't it might not read left to right it might be up and down because it looked like she was writing them in columns instead of rows and she's definitely using some kind of a dictionary or something so she um she has not conversed regularly in korean in a long time or maybe not written in it talking is different than writing yeah i I think she still converses in korean with with her her mother mother. yeah Yeah. but she probably hasn't written in korean in a long time in a decade so yeah yeah, that's 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 an interesting thing anyway but when she's trying to describe 
Montauk to him. And he, he does it by telling him to watch a movie yeah. called The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen that? Yeah, I have. It's been a while, but I have. I have never seen it. I get the reference, but, I, but I've never seen it. But I guess it's set in Montauk. Yeah, it's also, it's an interesting reference for this film to make because it is also kind of a movie about a doomed relationship that isn't doomed mm. because of death reasons, uh, just because of life reasons. Um, I don't, I don't know. It, it might be interesting for us to watch it eventually for the podcast. It's not a particularly woman powered movie, but it's uh, the the two main characters are are played by uh, Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey. Is that right? I want to say Jim Carrey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think so. I think it's one of his serious films, uh, and. It's kind of a sci-fi fantasy-ish movie because the the core concept of the movie is basically it's it's a world where there's a technology that can make you forget a whole relationship. And uh, it's about these two people who decide to do that and then maybe kind of change their mind. But also the process of doing it causes you to like re-experience the whole relationship while the memories are disappearing. A very apt uh, reference for this movie then. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's great. I'm glad you described that. Yeah, it's a very interesting... reference for this movie to make well and there's another scene i did a lot of these these details that i'm bringing up are visual but when they're standing when he's visiting her in new york he's standing in front of a sculpture in a park waiting for her and that is a direct throwback to the very earliest scenes of the movie where they're playing in a park that has sculptures in it and they're playing on the sculptures so that was i thought that was pretty cool and i think that is that is it for me on the on the details i had a couple quotes that i liked which well, she, she's telling hey song that that she and arthur had fought a lot and that mm-hmm. they do still sometimes fight and she oh, says yeah. it's like and he doesn't understand that so i wonder if there's maybe not as not as much fighting in korean marriages as there are in american marriages but <laughs> there's a lot of fighting in american marriages well so he hasn't been married yet and that's true too uh, but she he doesn't understand it and she explains it to him by saying it's like planting two trees in one pot our roots need to find their place and i thought that was a really apt description of the early years of a marriage and i I will tell you that your father and i in the first few years that we lived together we fought a lot and it it does take a time uh, some time for young people now i don't know how it would be as an older person getting married but but for younger people you're still finding yourself i mean you're still figuring Mm -hmm. out who you are and all of a sudden you're in this marriage you have to figure Mm -hmm. out the marriage too so that's why I always tell people, don't get married too young. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's what you're doing. You 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 you've planted two trees in one pot, and you got to figure out how to find space for both of you in that pot. And that's yeah. that's never easy. And Nora says to Hai Sung, getting married is hard for idealistic people like you. And that's a great description of his one of his differences from her. I have one detail that I haven't talked about yet, and it feels a little bit silly to end on such a silly one, but the the book that her husband wrote is called Boner. <laughs> I'm glad you ended on that. <laughs> I've forgotten it. They don't they don't tell us anything about this book, what it's about. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's all we see and it's like, okay. We just see the cover. What what the fuck? <laughs> well, what is it about? You know, it's like Who knows? Who knows? Do we get the name of her play of her play that she's I don't think I so. I get that. 
Yeah, we get a couple of scenes of rehearsal and we hear them saying some of the lines, but um, I don't think we get the name of it. No, but it does seem like she's at least a pretty successful playwright because she has rehearsals happening. So a play yeah. that she's written is going on on the stage. It's in rehearsals. Yeah. Yeah. And, Absolutely. you know, and she I think also the, the fact that she's a playwright maybe makes it important that she ended up in New York specifically because, you know, they're... Yes. Not yes. a lot of cities have a, as robust a theater scene as New York does. Oh, I don't think anybody does. Maybe, I'm, maybe yeah, London. I'm not, I'm not sure anyone does. Yeah, maybe, maybe London. London yeah. But. but yeah, Toronto certainly is. It, she could have stayed there if she was going to be a novelist mm-hmm. or anything else. But but, but if you're going to be a playwright. so specific. Yeah. You've got to go to New York or London. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's that's it for me on the details. So it is time to discuss our hot takes on this movie of which i don't have many uh all i can say is i I definitely think that celine song should have been nominated for best director this year she wasn't and that is a crime that is a crime and the academy should go to jail that (laughs) is my hot take well and you know it's funny because i think you're right about that that this in terms of direction it's actually almost better than Barbie is, and that's saying a lot because yeah. Barbie is a fantastically directed film. Mm-hmm. My hot take, let's see if I have anything here. I think there's a lot in here about the fate of how people meet. I like that because meeting people is fatalistic sometimes. You know, it just happens, and and you could be walking, you could you could stoop over and pick up a nickel and, and miss meeting somebody. I mean, you know, it, fate is peculiar and we don't really understand it and that's probably okay <laughs> but i think it's a lot about how people meet the husband asked what if you had met some somebody else at the residency another writer someone who'd read the same books watched the same movies blah 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 and she says that that's not how life works uh but then she says this is where i'm supposed to be and you mentioned that earlier that's the indian part uh, and i like that i like the i like the how she the director in, in her directing and writing weaves in concepts of, of fate and Indian throughout the story and it's just really it's lovely <laughs> but in, in that respect I also think it's a coming of age film so both main characters come to an understanding of how they grew up and that they were never really going to end up together because of their different personalities I mean you know unless she had stayed in Korea but that was never going to happen by moving to the United States she becomes an American or at least a Korean American which creates a division between them that was probably always there. So that, dear listeners, is all for today. Yes. I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com, where you can sign up for my email list, or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare, or on TikTok or threads at author.tess.adare. Uh, and if you would like to follow us on Patreon, that is patreon.com slash where you lead. And I am Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth. Or you can sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings at stlwriterbeth.substack.com. This has been Woman Inherits the Earth, a discussion podcast about women and movies from the perspective of a mother and daughter. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks.